Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Let's try that one again. Punch them next and we'll try. Praise the Lord, everybody. Happy to be here tonight. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Anticipate great things coming this week. Amen. God's good to us. You may be seated. Amen. Tonight, I I come with a thought I want to share with you. And uh, church-approved sins. Church-approved sins. Sins. I feel like it's somewhat of a humorous title, but I, I think also that sometimes we just are not careful, and before long we involve ourselves in things that uh, we just, we're not careful and we ignore some little things, and I want to talk about some of those tonight. The day was January the 28th, 1986. I remember where I was at. I was on Highway 59 between the big, wide-open metropolis of Shepherd, Texas, and the almost just as big metropolitan area of Cleveland, Texas. I was right there about where the truck stop that they've just recently tore down is. When the radio gave us that emergency broadcast system signal. And we began to listen as it became evident that there was a disaster with the space shuttle program. And the space shuttle Challenger had had literally exploded on takeoff. Can anybody remember the day this happened? Amen. The, the crowd that just left can't remember this. But uh, the rest of us... Uh, uh, can kind of remember this. Many of us can kind of remember this. Uh, amen. But uh, the space shuttle carrying those astronauts of Frank Scobie, Ellison Onizuka, Michael Smith, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe, that famed school teacher who had won the lottery to be the first school teacher to fly in that shuttle. We were living in Shepherd during that time and we heard that alarm go on the radio and then with the horror of the moment we listened and we watched and we heard over and over as the space shuttle they caught it all on video as it would come apart and you've seen over the years those pictures of of the the plumes of smoke shooting from that that shuttle and it was in that disastrous moment that we all looked with horror and unbelief that can this really really happen and instantly we we wept and we we grieved we grieved for these people and the fact that uh, this disaster had happened it, it just stunned us and America began to ask this question what happened what happened why did this happen? And over the months, there would be an investigation takes place called the Rogers Commission. And with time, they would come back with a simple explanation for this horrible, horrible disaster. They came back and said that the reason for this problem was simply that there was a small O-ring that was on the side of a rocket booster that duty was to simply be there and capture some gas that would be released when, when fuel would be going from the tanks into the booster. This small O-ring would be the problem and cause that disaster. This, this small piece of, of some sort of rubber, which was really only about a quarter inch in diameter on the inside, very, very small O-ring it gave out. It released gas that 
with the fire of the engines, the flame of the engines flaming, it caused that ignition on the rocket booster, which in turn caused the, the space shuttle to literally blow apart. They, they have where that the passenger part of that shuttle, it stayed intact for several seconds. And when the shuttle was already dead and destroyed, they knew that it was just a matter of seconds before the men and ladies inside that shuttle capsule would also be dead. They say the reason they died was not because of collision, but because they were at such an altitude and were not wearing uh, pressurized suits that they suffered immediate brain damage because of the because of the lack of oxygen there in the shuttle. These things that these little things that caused this shuttle to have this explosion and to have this failure. We would think what big thing could have happened to cause this. I mean, what what could have happened but when you realize it was in comparison to the size of the shuttle and the size of those boosters and those tanks. The idea that that an item that is smaller than a penny, smaller than a penny, could be the problem that would have caused this terrible disaster. Things like this, these little things are what causes us problems in real life. It's not the big sins that cause us problems. Most of us have the big stuff settled. Most of us have decided we're going to follow Jesus and we've got the big stuff settled. But it's little stuff that catches us. It's little things that, that just happen. We wake up one day and we've not been paying attention and we've just kind of grown casual and we've been able to accept some little things and before long that's those little things that will explode and cause us problems in our life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, such a familiar verse. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's the little things. The little foxes spoil the vines, it says in the book of Proverbs. But here in this verse, Paul writing, he said, we need to lay aside every weight and these sins, these small things that so easily get us off track, they beset us. When we ignore little things in our lives, there seems to be this natural development that we begin to accept life without these little things being taken care of. And as we ignore little things, and our walk with God, there seems to be this list of things as Christians that develop that we say, oh, that's not important. That's not important. And before long, we have created a list of things, little things that can pull us off track. But they is all like, it's like it's really not that important. Kind of like maybe just Wednesday night. That's not really a sin to miss so it becomes a very easy thing to miss and and when we begin to have little things that are out of alignment who knows but what great disasters in families and people's lives begin when the prioritization of their week that someone just decided that you know Wednesday's not so important anymore and I'm not here to preach about attendance tonight. I'm just saying we have to be able to look at real things in our lives. And, and sometimes it's those little things that are so small, but they arrive on this list of church-approved sins. It's stuff that we do that's not a sin, but it can sure mess us up with time. Is there a witness in the house? It's kind of quiet. You'd rather I not talk about this? You see, there are things that just happen in life. There are, there are things that come up. I have, I have ten. This list could be absolutely immeasurable, but I, I chose ten 
quick items that I can throw at you very quickly that we can just briefly, without digging too deep, without being offensive, without calling your name, without shining the light on you, but little things we can just talk and pass by and maybe as we pass by, there'll be something there that, that you know, the best lessons in life are not the lessons that are taught. They're the lessons that are caught. Are you with me on that one? And when you say, I'm fixing to teach you a lesson, they're probably not going to learn much. But when there's that, when there, there's that major moment when you wake up and realize, I learned something during that. That's that lesson that you caught. And sometimes when you catch a lesson, it hits you kind of hard. It might leave a bruise. A lesson that you caught might hurt. But the best lessons in life are the ones that are, are caught. So I want to talk about these ten things uh, uh, quite, quite briefly here. But number one is this thing called fear. We think, how in the world can fear be a sin? But the words uh, do not fear and do not be afraid are listed in the Scripture 365 times. We are commanded to not be afraid. We are commanded to not have fear. So we, have to, we might ask ourselves, if we're not afraid, does that mean we're brave? Does that mean we have courage? Does that mean we ain't scared? Does that mean, uh, uh, remember the bumper sticker, the window sticker people used a few years ago, ain't scared? Does maybe having no fear or not being fearful, does that mean that you're not afraid? Does that mean that you're brave? I, I would suggest tonight no, but let me just point here tonight that the opposite of fear is love the opposite of fear is love therefore if we don't have fear then in its place is love the scripture teaches us that God is love and if God is love the opposite of fear then is God and so that brings me to a very quick place where that we ought not to let our fears control us when things rise up, we ought to be able, when situations arise, we ought to be able to calmly look around and say, my world is falling apart, but God's going to see me through this thing. It should be that calm. It should be, it should absolutely be that calm. The other day, the other night, we have, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but most of our house now is hooked up to Alexa. And, and she does everything for us. I told my wife, the only thing that's not hooked up to Alexa is me. And if she thinks she's going to hook me up to Alexa, she's probably going to do it. Just, uh, but I had to, had to bluster a little bit. But the other night, no, we can, when we get ready to go to bed, we can say, Alexa, turn the air conditioner to a certain degree. And, and she's even got the vacuum cleaner where she just tells it to vacuum. That thing just cranks up and runs around the house. And it's a, it's, it's a neat experience to watch it all happen. Uh, but here lately, I've been having to do it. And so it, that, that, that poses a problem, too, uh, at least for me. My wife seems to really enjoy this thing. But, um, but the other night, um, when, when we went to bed, I, I went through and I turned all the lights out and locked all the doors and locked the garage and all of the stuff that we have to do and... And I got up, I woke up about 11, 11.30, I woke up, and I got back up, I couldn't sleep, and I went back into the living room, and uh, I know specifically that I turned out the light that's in the staircase. I know specifically that I did that, because I turned all the light switches out when I, when I got up, and when I, before I went to bed, and then here that light was on. I said, I guess she got up and turned this light and left it on, so I muttered like you would do, and... Um, and so a little while later, I went on back to bed. And I got up again about 5 o'clock to start my day. And I go back in the living room, and that light's on again. And I'm looking at that light. And then my wife comes in and said, did you turn that light on? I said, no, I didn't turn that light on. I said, did you turn that light on? She said, no, that, light's, that light, some, the devil, I guess, turned that light on. Or Alexa or something. Alexa is a devil. But, but anyway, I, 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 unless I digress. That, that light was on. And then we noticed that the back door was standing open. And so there must have been a demon come in our house or something. We don't know what happened that night. But, um, but and I jokingly talk about it. But we both looked at each other and had that funny feeling like, did somebody come in this place overnight? We just, just that natural thing. These natural things can happen and can, if we allow them, they will create fear in us 
to where that instead of being able to live with confidence and trust in the Lord that everything's going to be all right, we can focus and get fixated on the strange things of life that can bring fear into our life. But perfect love casts out fear. And I want tonight to simply say we can wake up one day and we can just just pass our fears off and just let them be there and we can embrace them and and just accept them as as what they are. And then one day we realize that that might be a little O-ring in our life, a little bitty thing that in itself is not so significant, but that might be something that gives out in a moment when we don't need fear and we've got to have strength to be able to trust God. And suddenly, suddenly we're unable to trust the Lord because we have this fear that's in our our minds and our spirits. Hence, the opposite of fear is God. Then so if we are dealing with fear, we are grasping and hanging on to fear and we're not really hanging on to God. And suddenly we think, well, that's not so bad, but suddenly we've got a a church-approved sin because this fear is probably not going to send me to hell, but but what about this that's going on inside of me that suddenly I am so dealing with this fear? If you are a child of God, then the one thing that should not plague you is fear. Hear me. I preach this clearly. I want you to know you should not have to worry about fear because if you're dealing with it in that manner, you can be in the middle of life and suddenly the O-ring of fear give out and boom, you have a disaster. First John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Fear has torment. Have you ever been, anybody ever felt the torment of fear just agitating you? He that feareth is not made perfect in love. When we allow fear to influence our decisions, when we look back and say, well, I remember what happened to us last time. I remember what happened here and and you you let fear influence every decision i'm not talking wisdom i'm talking fear we don't want to feel certain pains again we're scared of those things will come back to us again and we fear that sense of rejection we fear that sense of pain we fear because we remember what happened to us but just simply say this quickly perfect love cast out fear if you're dealing with fear Find somebody and help them pray with you and pray to the fact that fear no longer torments your mind. Amen. Please hear me tonight. I say this with love. Another thing, another thing that can quickly become a a part of a church-approved sin, something that's not really sinful, but it it creates something in us, and that's this thing called apathy. Apathy, being apathetic and being passive. And, and, and having this uh, sense of maybe even entitlements uh, uh, can create a vicious threesome in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit that can literally destroy you. Why do we get apathetic? Why do we get nonchalant toward the things of God? You know, we, don't, we can't stand up here and say, you know, you're, you're dragging your feet, you're going to hell. Because somebody can drag your feet and still make heaven. But why is it that we are so, at times, we get so apathetic about living for God, apathetic about things that are going on, that we are content to accept mediocrity in our life? Amen. We are happy to accept mediocrity. I'm not happy with mediocrity. I don't want to just be mediocre. I don't want to just be in the middle of the pack. There's something inside of me. This is a bad thing. I know it's probably a negative nature, negative thing, but I don't even like for anybody to pass me on the freeway. I want to be first. And what happens is I try to pass everybody on the freeway. But just as soon as I start doing that, there's, there's one guy I want to be first on the freeway, but I always get behind the guy that wants to be the last guy on the freeway. And I'm trying to be first. He stopped in front of me. He won't hardly move. He wants to be last because I've got something. I, I don't want to be mediocre. And I don't want to ever be able to accept being passive or being apathetic. What is mediocre about God? 
There is no power that can equal his. His wonder is beyond comprehension. His beauty is beyond description. His love is beyond measure. His mercy is absolutely never ending. So why do we hear these things about the wonder and the greatness of God? Why do we hear a good sermon on Sunday? We have a little bit of faith pumped into us at a service. And then before we get out of the parking lot, we have looked at and we've listened and we've shrugged our shoulders and we're content to walk away and say, oh, that's nice. And nothing changes about our pursuit and hunger for him because we're happy being mediocre. Not me. Not me. I don't want to be that way. Why are we, why are some happy to live without uh, with, with, with such apathy. They're content to live without the joy of the Holy Ghost. They no longer feel the excitement of their early walk with God. They, they've lost their joy and faithfulness and commitment's no longer important to them. And, and, and they really teach their kids that, that being faithful to God things are really an option. They're not a mandate. When we're apathetic, when we're apathetic, we, we teach our children that being faithful to God things, they're a choice. They're not a decision. I want my kids and grandkids to know that the things of God were not a choice. They were what we do. It was an absolute. So let me challenge you tonight to don't become apathetic toward the things of God. Don't be apathetic towards a prayer meeting. Don't be apathetic towards attendance. Don't be apathetic towards commitments. Don't be apathetic in those things because you won't necessarily go to sin over being apathetic or or, or having an apathy in your life, but you can be so passive and be so apathetic that one day in life you'll wake up and realize I'm missing out on something. Amen. And your nonchalant, apathetic ways may wake up one day and your kids don't even think it's important to sit on the bench with you anymore at church. Just think about it. Think about it. Amen. I want to I move further because time is moving. Third thing I want to talk about quickly is a thing called gluttony. Say, oh God. Oh God. Oh God. You see, eating is not necessarily sin. And we, equ- and we equate gluttony to eating. And um, um, I, I knew a couple of guys that went down to a Chinese buffet. And it said, all you can eat, Chinese buffet. And uh, they really liked the shrimp. So they ate all the shrimp that was there between the two or three of them. And so the little guy that run the, the Chinese restaurant, he goes and brings more shrimp. Well, they hung around a while. They saw more shrimp. They ate all the shrimp. Finally, after this happened two or three times, the little, the little proprietor of the restaurant comes up and say, the signs say all you can eat, not you can eat all. <laughs> True story. We traditionally connect gluttony with eating. We, we, we little say gluttons are people that eat and, and but really when you find this word gluttony in the scripture it's really talking of a more spiritual sense saying things like it's like gluttony is about trying to fill the empty places within yourself trying to gratify the flesh trying to continue to gratify the flesh in some way And it can't seem to be satisfied. Do you realize inside of every one of us, there's a big hole. There's a big space that is empty. And I tell you, it's it's a God-sized, God-shaped hole. And no matter what you try to put in that, if you don't put God in that space, nothing's going to fill that space just like God would fill that space. It's God-sized and it's God-shaped. And so I've known people who try to, who try to, to feel that, to, to feel that, that God space with gadgets and trinkets and, and shopping and, 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 and all sort of things that gratify the flesh because they used to get their greatest joy at one point from walking and living for God and praying and walking in the Holy Ghost. That was their greatest joy, but that's no longer enough because they've lost that love, and now they try to gratify with all sort of other stuff, and this other stuff just doesn't feel the God-sized heart. They become 
gluttons for everything but what will fill that space that only God will fill. And suddenly, suddenly, these good things that they're able to do become, become a sin in their life because this is, this is now an empty place because we used to fill our hearts and spirits with our walk with God and our prayer, our commitment, and that would fulfill but we've gotten sidetracked, and now there is this empty place, and we're no longer stuffing it full of Jesus. And so we stuff it full of more stuff and more toys and more trinkets and more, more gadgets and, and, and more stuff. And, and, uh, and, and before long, we've got a blowout in our life. It's because there was an O-ring that was connected, holding part of our lives together, and we gorge ourselves on food and trinkets only to continue to be discontent with life, and we're not happy. So we feel like we've got to do this or that to create happiness, and it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. You've heard somebody say money is the answer to all things. When people get money, they're still not happy. Are you with me here? Because there is this inward longing that can only be filled by the power and the presence of God. And before long, the good blessings and the things that are in your life, they they can become a church-approved sin. It's not a sin. The thing is not a sin, but it's this thing that is causing us to constantly try to feel this place where God wants to feel. Amen. Amen. This is good stuff. Next thing I want to talk about quickly is pride. The real trap for many of us today is as our walk with God, we, we can begin to look around like those Pharisees did, and we become quite proud on who and what we are. And it's very easy to do it from my standpoint. I, pass, I, I used to say things like this. I used to literally would use these statements here in the pulpit. I would say things like, I don't care what they're doing anywhere else. What we're going to do here is this. And I began to listen to that. And I began to realize that wasn't an anointed saying. That wasn't an anointed message. That was my pride beginning to speak that, bless God, nobody's going to be more holy or more separate or more godly or better in some things than us. It was my pride speaking. My pride. We, uh, we have a thing that I, I wrote this thing a few years ago and directed it toward some pastors and some preachers because there were some specific things that we pastors that, 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 it, that we, have, we have pride about. And we say things like this. Uh, and I, I, I'm as bad as anybody about it. We have a guest preacher. We say things like, man, I don't know where everybody is. Well, everybody but one family was there, but you just lied to them. And so I called this painful preacher pride because we all have these prides in our life that kick in okay we do your pride might be your kid uh, didn't make enough high enough grades and that embarrassed you prides i mean one of our kids that were the first year of school every time i stepped on that i won't tell you which one of them it was y'all can figure it out it's either this one or that one it was one of the two and every time i stepped on that campus the first grade teacher would have their hand there and mr smith i hated that woman <laughs> because every day it was something and my pride was being kicked around about it because we have this in our lives. We can easily around the church, we can take pride in our standards. We can take pride in so many things. I'm be, I would be careful here. Those things are so very important. But we've got to be careful that we don't take pride in these things. Amen. We don't take pride in these things. False humility is really our pride talking. You ever have somebody brag on you and you just start exuding this false humility because you're so glad they noticed you're so glad they're saying those things nice things about you and you're and you, you're just you just come and you begin to say and, and act in a falsely humble way that's our pride talking that is our pride talking but please remember this proverbs 16 and 18 please remember that pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before fall you know, being proud of some things is not a sin. But what if that little prideful thing we had in our life was that O-ring that when the pressures of life got on, it would be that point of pride that blew out 
and cause a disaster in my life. And so maybe it's that bit of self-righteousness that we can have. Maybe it's that, it's that bit of like the Pharisee that looked over that day at that little guy that was over there beating his chest and saying, I'm glad I'm not like him. And the Lord's looking at the two of them and saying, I wish all of us were like that guy that didn't mind crying in public and beating his chest and praying. So tonight, let me simply say, when you see pride in someone's life, there will always be a destruction and a disaster in their aftermath. Pride comes by, disaster's walking right behind it. It happens. Amen. I was talking with someone today, and I simply said, give this time. The only answer to that, you can't fight this, you can't resist this. This is only going to require time, and this will come to pass in this way. Because whenever you see certain levels of pride walk by, there will be a disaster. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. Amen. Let me move along. Worry. Worry is like a rocking chair. Rocking chair, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere. Any worry warts here? No, not in this church. But Jesus told us to be careful. Take no thought of tomorrow. He said, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. He said, don't worry about these things. Don't let worry be a part of your life. And absolutely, the anxieties and worries that we embrace, if we're not careful, they will become, they will grow and they will grow larger than we think they are. And though in itself, we're worrying a little bit about something. We worry, and that, that's, that's not a sin. But can it be that anxiety and that worry that when the pressures of life come on, we let that anxiety and worry, we let it bubble over and we suddenly have this thing in life like the shuttle it's so insignificant and so small but now this this thing that i'm worrying about this thing that i'm fretting about now it's causing me problems and it's going to cause me a disaster you see worry is the byproduct of you carrying things that only god can carry that's good. Amen. Tweet that one now. Worry is the byproduct of you trying to carry the things only God can carry. Amen. Be careful when you try to solve all your problems yourself. Be careful when you try to Im- Im- pull new things in your life because you've got to fix all these problems. You've got to figure out how am I going to trust God and allow Him to work these things out. Amen. Worry is a byproduct of you carrying the weight of what only God can carry. Now, I need, I need to keep moving here, and, and I want to talk about another, another church-approved sin because, because this, this happens in, in many of us, and especially many of us that are up front at times, and that is this thing of of flattery, being flattered, and having that need to be flattered, having that need to be, you know, there was a fellow in the, in the New Testament. His name was Diotrephes, Diotrephes, Diotrephes. Uh, one of those two is the correct pronunciation. But Paul's writing, he says, Diotrephes, desired, preeminence among the brethren this guy name must have been a good guy he was around the church but he desired preeminence he wanted to be the guy that had the attention and he was up front let me tell you the heroes of the church let me tell you who they are are the people who come week in and week out year in and year out you never hear their name you never hear them bragged on you never, you, you never, you don't even, they're the folks that you don't know if they're there at church. But everybody knows if they're not there. Are you with me on that one? It's that person. It's those people. 
It's those people that you don't even know that they were working the nursery. You don't know that they were doing this, whatever the job is in church. You don't know it. But when it didn't get done, you noticed it didn't get done. You noticed they weren't there. So tonight, I want to I want to caution us. Sometimes it's so easy for us to get our identity from the praise of men. We don't feel like we can live or work for God if we're not having the focus of attention and people being proud of us and people bragging on us and people telling us what a wonderful job we did and we don't feel that praise. Let me ask you, where is your identity coming from? Is identity coming from the fact that you were able to do something and, and as a form of your worship or does it come from the fact that they could tell you how wonderful you are because you could sing that song in two keys or whatever, whatever. And, and, and all of this stuff, face it. It's hard to point others to Jesus Christ when all you can point at is yourself. There's another tweet for you right there. How can I point people to Jesus when I'm so busy getting them to notice me? Amen. It's not a sin to, it's not a sin to enjoy uh, public service. It's not a sin for that. We've got to be careful because if, if we suddenly are so needing the flattery and the bragging of people to give us fulfillment, something is wrong with us. Now, that's at church, okay? Most of us are safe with that one, all right? What about your social media? When you have to go on there and feel like you got to tell the whole world how wonderful life is. And, and just, you know, it's not you. It's the people that, that, that you see. There's no way some of these people can have that much good happening. Their kids' diapers don't stink. I mean, just life is wonderful. No. When everything is pointing at a self-aggrandizing way and it's all about building me up and building us up. Hang on, people. We've got to be real. And sometimes we say we're just testifying. No, sometimes that turns into bragging. And we're flattering ourselves. We're like that same Pharisee that says, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. But we coach it in a different way. We want to give God praise because all of this has happened. We've got to be careful with that because we can be speaking from a spirit of pride and a need for people to say, wow, y'all are doing something right. Be careful. That little O-ring will blow out on you and you'll have a problem one day. Amen. I want to move on. It's getting quieter. This is going to make us even quieter. I want to call this the sin of comfort. And um, if there is a patriarch of church sins it's comfort it's 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 we get so comfortable with our pews so comfortable with our song comfortable with what we like that that we literally don't want to be moved and pushed out of this place of comfort we get so comfortable around our church that we forget the mission of the church we start thinking that the church is all about me when really it's not about me. It's about whom can I help point to Jesus? Whom can I do? When we, when we view uh, the mission of the church as making the saints comfortable rather than attracting the sinner. Is it not quiet in here? When we are so busy trying to be comfortable that, you see, here's, here's a problem. Here's a problem. When the sin of comfort takes over, it's near impossible to get him to leave. You know, I bet you right now, uh, okay, I bet you right now, some of you have checked the Astro score tonight since church started. Come on now. 
When church started, it was two to two. I checked it right before church started. <laughs> now, you're looking at me like a hoot out on a limb, but I'm being honest with you, all right? But, you know, if I said, you know, turn that phone off, we don't need none of that in here for 30 minutes, there'd be some, some inner hankerings rise up. Am I right? Because we are so comfortable with some things, we think we can handle it. And having your phone on in church is definitely not a sin, okay? But, and even checking the score is probably not a sin. But once comfort shows up, it's near impossible to get that rascal to leave. I would rather deal with devils than comfort. You can cast out a devil, but you, can't get, you cannot cast out complacence and comfort. You can't do it. Give me a good demon. Run that devil out of here. Let him roll around and foam with the mouth and we'll rebuke him and he'll go. But getting the saints to move when they've gotten comfortable? And comfort's not a sin. It's not a sin. But it can be. It can be. You see, when, comfort, when our comfort becomes challenged people start getting upset and angry. And then it's even those that have been so comfortable, they might even join the insurrection to crucify an innocent man that's trying to say, we are too comfortable. Oh, pastor, that wouldn't happen. Well, what do you think happened to Jesus? He's walking around saying, you bunch of comfortable Pharisees, you're living like the devil, and they killed him. Why? Because we don't want to be forced out of areas that are comfortable. We like our songs. We like our bench. We like our pew. We like the temperature. We, we, like, we like it the way that we like it because we're comfortable. The fact is the church cannot be comfortable and missional at the same time. We cannot be. This is another tweetable moment. Okay, it's three in a row. Man, I'm on a roll here, all right? The church cannot be missional and comfortable at the same time. Because if we're so comfortable that the saints in the church is all happy, we will speak a language that somebody walks in from out in the world. They'll walk in. They won't understand what's going on. They won't understand, and they won't feel like anybody relates to them. And they'll just feel like, man, I, I don't even want to go back. I didn't feel at home there. But if we're missional, if we're missional, we're able to move out of being comfortable, and we can be willing to do anything, anything, anything for the mission. The fact is, we cannot be comfortable and missional at the same time. And if we get too comfortable, there's that little O-ring that might just give out. And when we're pushed out of comfort, there might be an explosion. It's quiet, really quiet. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. Another word I want, I want to use here tonight, I'm not certain if it's totally, a completely accurate word, but I think you will, you will you'll get the idea here. And I want to use the word as patriotism. You know, on your social media, these people that, that are always, uh, all the politics uh, uh, just it just rolls out of them all the time, and and you just know, you you just know. And I'm gonna, I, I hope we're not recording this. And please, if this is going Facebook Live, somebody just turn it off real quick because my mother likes politics, and all of her children have disconnected from her on social media. And then one of the children told them that we had all disconnected from her because she was so political. And she's posting all this stuff. And so it kind of hurt her feelings a little bit. So we're sitting around and she'll say, well, all of my children are disconnected from me. But uh, I'm going to keep on saying. And so um, her, her trumpeting, her patriotism has got her kids not wanting to be around her. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and it's, it's the same. We can do the same thing with our with our. We can, we can use our social media areas as a bully pulpit. 
And we can become personally non grata among people that love us and among people that need to be connected to us and people that need what we can give to them because all we do is pound our politics or point out what everybody else is doing wrong. And these things of, of using these things as using patriotism and bully pulpits and all that stuff, suddenly we become activists and not Christians. And I'm telling you, we're not called to be activists. We're called to be Christians. While having a good stand on politics is wonderful, and loving the church and loving what's right, that's as we all need to do that. We have to be careful where we place our activism because in our activism we can replace our Christianity. What are you talking about, Pastor? Abortion's a sin. We know that. It's not right. And, and, and it, it leaves so much pain in people that have walked that pathway. It's just not a good thing. But you remember a few years ago, we had all of the, all of the right to lifers were out there standing and making picket lines uh, outside uh, the abortion places and and then suddenly we started having abortion clinics that were being blown up by right to lifers you remember this 10 15 years ago and what the right to life people were doing was a good deal it was a great deed but their activism grew such that some of them didn't have restraints in their lives and they became violent and their activism became very counterproductive for what they were trying to do. Are you with me now? Are you with me now? So I say this today. We must be careful with the things that we say. I, I, I post very little political, but on the last, uh, the last election, last presidential election on that day, I just kind of got happy. And I went and got me a red hat with some words on it. And... and um, I went on and made a little video, and I said, come on, I need everybody right, let's go vote, let's go vote, let's go vote this guy in, and I went right on it, and I just thought it was funny, I was cutting up, only to have about a half a dozen or maybe a dozen people that I'm trying to influence to write, who took offense at that, and suddenly, I kind of wish I could have just not bought the hat and undone what I just did in that few moments of being silly how do I undo this you see sometimes we have these low rings and they give out and we didn't think it through and it caused us a problem and what I did was okay I mean the church can't say it was really wrong but what I did was really wrong and I caused offense in some folks so by that I want to say I don't want those kind of things to be on my list of church approved sins are you with me here? And I want to I just quickly hurry on because it's 8.30. Please stand. I'm done. I'm enjoying this more than you are, all right? White lies, big lies, they're all lies. Amen. They're all lies. And I close with this verse where Paul said this thing, that every one of us should learn how to possess our vessels with sanctification and with honor. I've used this verse so many times in the past, but this verse encapsulizes so much of Christ's living that we should learn how to possess our vessel, possess this body with two things, sanctification and honor. Sanctification is sin-free. Saved, sanctified, sin-free, living right, living holy, living clean. I mean, no more hooch, no more tobacco, no more pornography, and no more. We're sanctified. We've been washed. We're sanctified. But also, also talking about sanctification and honor. Sanctification and honor. And that possessing and controlling our vessels with honor. That's difficult. Because it's easy to justify some things in our lives. But when we realize we may be able to hide it from somebody else, but God will always know what's going on. Amen. Amen. Today, I'm coming down the freeway, and I see a motorcycle policeman. And I happen to know a motorcycle policeman, so I look to see if it's the one I know. And um, I couldn't tell. 
until he pulled me over. <laughs> Wasn't speeding. I didn't even know I, I was really trying to figure out why are you pulling me over? It turns out that, that um, this story came out because Trent called me while I was visiting with this nice young man. And I said, Trent, let me call you back. And I, I tell him. And I said, but, but Trent, I was just talking to the police officer, really a nice young man. And Trent said, you got a ticket, didn't you? I said, no, I didn't get a ticket. And um, then that was laying in the car. My wife got in the car. And she saw, she saw that little warning thing they gave me. Nice young man gave me his name. I had to get a hold of him. And if I wanted to go visit with him, he just gave me the opportunity. I just thought it was a nice, nice young man. And she saw it. And she said, uh, well, what happened was I was looking for this guy, trying to see if it was the guy I knew, and I almost ran over him, he said. I, I, I pulled over on him. But he gave me his name and number in case we wanted to get back, get back together. You know, he's a nice guy. I left it laying in the car, and my wife seemed to think that I was trying to hide that from her. And I was laying right there, and there's nothing hid. See, here the thing is, I'm using this humorous thing and pointing at myself. So many times we want to hide things. And if anything is hidden in our life, it will be proclaimed. Remember this, things done in secret will be pronounced on the rooftop. That's a scripture. You do it and you hide it, you're not going to keep it hid. It's coming out. Possess your vessel with sanctification and honor. Sin-free and full of integrity. Amen. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for these wonderful people. I'm asking, Lord, that you bless these people and keep us. And, Lord, let us be careful to walk with integrity. Let us be careful, Lord, to, to walk with rightness, circumspectly. Have your way with us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that these words will fall on good ground and someone will have caught something tonight that's life-transforming, life-helping for them. And I honor you, Lord. I honor you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I owe you 12 minutes back. I'll give it to you Sunday night. We'll see you. Let's go in Jesus' name.